Turn to Ephesians 1. Thanks to Josh Warren for filling in last week and to Blake Dickens for so ably covering the announcements. I um, heard good reports about everything. Tiffany and I went to a wedding in Knoxville. It's always good to be back in Knoxville. Uh, It's where I was converted to Christ and where Tiffany and I both spent the early years of our Christian life. I got to see some old friends, uh, got to be a part of a wedding uh, for a long time old friend, so that's what we were up to in God's country in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. But now we're back to work in Ephesians. If you've never been here before, the way we do is we just work verse by verse through books of the Bible. So... Some books take longer than others. Uh, We're not making record pace in Ephesians, but we are to verse 15 and 16. So we're going to, I'll read verses 15 to 21 so you can kind of see the whole context here. And we're really just going to focus on the end of verse 16 today. Ephesians 1 15 to 21. Follow as I read, this is the Word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now that's a lot, and we're going to work slowly through this section. Um, Again, we're just going to look really at that Remembering you in my prayers, that's in verse 16, that's going to be kind of the focus of our study today. Last time we, we looked at verses 15 and 16, and um, you know Paul says he, every time, he, he, because of their faith in Christ and love for all the saints, he continually thanks God for them remembering in his prayers. And so we noted that despite the fact that the Ephesians are the ones with the faith in Christ. He's thankful for their faith in Christ, despite the fact that the Ephesians are the ones that have displayed this love for all the saints, which along with faith in Christ, I said was these are distinguishing marks of a Christian. Faith in Jesus, love for God's people. And despite the fact that Paul himself originally brought the gospel to these Ephesians and helped plant this church in Ephesus, despite all of that, Paul is continually thanking God for this group of Christians. Why does he thank God? Why doesn't he thank them? They're the ones with the faith, and they're the ones doing all the good work of loving each other. And we said, because salvation is from the Lord. Wherever there is a Christian, or wherever there is a group of Christians, a mighty work of God has taken place. Christians don't become Christians primarily because other people lead them to Christ. Christians don't become Christians primarily because of a preacher or a sermon. Christians don't become Christians primarily because they made a decision to become a Christian. 
Those are all significant. Those are all means that God uses. But the only reason that those means are effective is because God breathes new life. Paul may have labored to bring these Ephesians to faith in Jesus, but he understands that the only reason they have faith in Christ and they love each other is because God supernaturally made it happen. We looked at Ephesians, I mean Ezekiel 37 last time, and uh, it's the valley full of dry bones. Basically to say, God made a valley full of spiritual bones into a living army. That's what happens when there are Christians in our midst. There was once death, spiritual death, there's now life, simply because God made it happen. All glory be to God for the salvation of His people. Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, in other words, because I have heard you are true Christians, I do not cease to thank God for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul thanks God for these Christians. He also prays some pretty specific things for them. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at the specifics of Paul's prayer. Um, Next week, we'll, we'll go into the specifics, but... This week I simply want to consider the fact that Paul is praying for them. Generally speaking, Paul is praying for their growth in Christ, for for their faith to grow. And in the same way that he thanks God for the fact that they are Christians at all, he prays to God to grow them as Christians. Because he knows... As we looked at last week, though one may plant, though Paul may have planted, and though another may have come along and watered when when Paul had to leave, only God gives the growth. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 3 so we can see that again. Just to the left of Ephesians a little bit. First Corinthians three, I'm going to read verses five through seven. <clears throat> what then is Apollos? Remember there's there's a uh, controversy in the church and they're fighting over who's better. We like Apollos better. We like Paul better. Um, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So the only ones that believed were the ones that the Lord assigned to believe. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul is praying for the Ephesians to grow because he just went in in great detail in verses 3 through 14, um, he just went into great detail in explaining the fact that God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And remember, that's that whole section 3 through 14, Paul then develops um, what some of those blessings are. He chose us in Christ before the world began. He redeemed us on the cross. He adopted us into His family 
in Christ. In Christ we have obtained an, an eternal inheritance. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee, the text says, of our inheritance in Christ. You read Ephesians three through uh, Ephesians 1, 3-14, you see all these blessings spelled out. <clears throat> so, Paul has spent verses 3-14 through 14 laboring to make us secure in the fact that God has already given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, never to be taken away. Yet, in verse 16, Paul is praying that God would give us more stuff. I don't know how you can get more stuff other than every spiritual blessing. He's praying, verse 17, that we would get wisdom and revelation in knowing God. Verse 18, that we would know the hope that we have. Also in verse 18, that we would know the riches of our inheritance that Paul has just spelled out before. Verse 19, that we would know the power of God toward us who believe. So what gives? Do we have every blessing in Christ or don't we? Anyone? Want to tell me? Think about it this way. Every blessing from God has already been given and has already been secured in Christ. It was given in Christ when He came to the earth, lived the life that we did not live, died the death that we deserve in our place to forgive our sins. And He said, His last words, it is finished, right? He secured the fullness of God's grace to us, the fullness of the gift of every spiritual blessing. So every blessing from God has already been given and has already been secured in Christ. But not everything has been fully appropriated to us at this point. We live in the in-between. God has fully given Himself to us. There's nothing more for Him to give. He's fully given Himself to us. He will never let His people go. That's a lot of what you can take from from verses 3-14 through in chapter 1. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We are in exile in a foreign land, not our home. We have to journey through this life by faith, clinging to Christ, in order to reach our final destination. We're not there yet. And rarely is that easy. So we need our faith to get stronger. We need to be further rooted in our new reality, in all of the blessings that are already ours in Christ. We need to know God more intimately so that the truth of the blessings that are ours in Christ would overcome us and overwhelm us and that we would view the world that way and live in light of the truth of of who we are, our new identity in Christ. We need an increasing knowledge of our secure hope, unshakable hope, our eternal inheritance, and the present power toward us who believe. We're going to study those things um, over the next few weeks. In the same way that um, Paul continually thanks God for the fact that these Ephesians are Christians at all, he also seeks God for their growth and maturity. And again, we're going to go into the specifics later, but for now, let us just learn from the fact that Paul is praying. 
Because Paul knows theologically, as he spells out in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul knows theologically that only God can give the growth. I mean, here's this man who labored. His whole life was given over to service of the King and to the expansion of the Gospel. But he knew that only God could give the growth. He knew that, but this is his theology and practice. If only God can give the growth, doesn't that make sense that we would seek God for the growth? At the end of verse 16 where Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Um, Now, think about this. Of course this doesn't mean that Paul didn't do anything else other than pray for the Ephesian Christians. He did lots of other things. He went all over the area, spreading the gospel and a number of different things. But he did continue to thank God for them and continue to pray for their growth. And there's most likely a lot of discipline um, and, and maybe some structure involved in this. A couple of the commentaries that I read said that it was regular practice for Christians during this time to pray multiple times a day. So perhaps morning, noon, and night, there were set-aside times, you know, much of what we think of as Islamic practices where they have certain times of the day where they'll go and pray. Obviously, different substance to the prayer, but that's what they're saying, is that there were most likely morning, noon, and night type prayer times. So that's probably what Paul meant by never ceasing to pray for them. He prayed for them morning, noon, and night. He was always praying for them when he was praying. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 2. The context here is that, you know, Jesus has just died and resurrected, and he reveals himself to his disciples after his resurrection. And he says, I'm about to go back to heaven. Go and wait, and I'm going to send the Spirit and empower you. And somewhere else he says that it's actually going to be better for me to go back because the Spirit's going to come, and uh, this whole thing's going to really take off. And it's always amazing to me that it's better for Jesus to go back to heaven. How could it ever be better for Jesus not to be in your presence? It's better when he goes and sends the Spirit to infect and fill all of his people. So the Spirit comes... Um, and you can, you can see that in uh, Acts 1 and 2, really at the beginning of Acts 2. But what we see, what is the fruit of that? What happened after the Spirit comes and fills God's people? They're now uh, new creations, new believers. Um, what, what happens? It says in Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, um, the Spirit came and gave new life, and one of the things that this produced was devotion to the prayers. Again, maybe morning, noon, and night. Um, It's been convicting for me to think about this week. You know, Paul has been entrusted with an incredible amount of responsibility, a large number of Christians, a large number of churches, for that matter. And the Ephesians weren't the ones, uh, the only ones that he was praying for. Don't turn, just listen to these. Colossians 1.9, the church at Colossae. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Romans 1.9, church at Rome. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit and in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. 2 Timothy 1.3 I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith to whom he would entrust much of his ministry. Uh, Paul prays for the Ephesian church night and day. He prays for the Colossian church night and day. He prays for the Roman church night and day. He prays for Timothy night and day. And this isn't to say anything about Titus, who is another one of his spiritual sons to whom he's going to entrust some ministry. Or um, this isn't to say anything about the churches in Philippi or in Galatia or in Thessalonica or in Corinth. We see that Serious prayer was a major mark of the Apostle Paul's life on this earth. And it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, no one has been used by God more significantly in building his church. He shared the gospel with thousands in his own day, millions upon millions over the last 2,000 years. He planted churches. He trained pastors. And most notably, he was an instrument through which the Holy Spirit wrote a significant portion of the New Testament Scriptures, which is how he shared the gospel, has shared the gospel with millions upon millions of people over the last 2,000 years as we read what he wrote down. Paul was the most brilliant theological mind. The most brilliant theological minds that have come after him have distinctively Pauline theology. Guys like St. Augustine, or John Calvin, or John Owen. These guys were Pauline. They were simply standing on His shoulders, learning the truth. Apart from Jesus, there was no more brilliant theological mind. You could make the argument that there may have been no more brilliant mind, period, than the Apostle Paul. But his theology was not merely theoretical. He believed it. He lived it. He knew, I can labor all I want, I can be bold, I can be faithful to the truth at the expense of my own life, but only God can give the growth. If I want to be serious about the expansion of the kingdom of God, I'd better pray. And pray He did. As I've thought about this this week, I've simply been exposed Do I pray in a disciplined, faithful way morning, noon, and night for you guys? For my wife? For my kids? I don't. How about just morning and night? Or how about just noon and night? Or how about just morning or just night? Is there anyone in my life to whom I would be able to say what Paul said, God is my witness, whom I serve in the spirit of the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. A big fat no. And here's my thing. I know that my salvation does not depend on how good of a prayer I am. I know that. It doesn't. None of yours does. I know that there is grace overflowing for me and for all of you in Christ. I know that my right standing before God does not depend on how righteous I am, but on Christ's righteousness, which has been credited to me in this crazy gospel that is seems too good to be true, but it's true. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus for me, is the only help when I face my severe shortcomings. 
And I return to it over and over again. I have to return to it every day because I'm exposed. And in light of the grace given to me, I honestly want to change. Grace has been given to me to save me. Yes and amen. Grace has also been given to me to change me. I honestly believe that prayer matters a great deal. I honestly believe that God has ordained my prayers and your prayers to shape history. I'll never forget. I've said it over and again in here now, but John Sartell's men's retreat stuff, it's on the app. If you haven't listened to it, please, man or woman, go listen to it. It's just about the significance of prayer. But this image of when we pray, God stores our prayers in golden bowls by the throne until He decides to shape history with them. They're not necessarily answered in the moment that we pray. That's why John Sartell said his dad didn't spend a ton of time with them. It was kind of an older generation. They were just more, you know, I'm going to work and I'm going to provide and all that. He said, but if you ask me if I would rather have time with my dad or my dad's prayers, I'd take my dad's prayers every time. Because his dad's prayers, though he's long gone, are still being answered. Because they're stored in golden bowls until God decides to shape history with them. That's just an amazing thought. I honestly believe that only God can give initial growth to someone in conversion. I honestly believe that only God can give continued growth and maturity to someone throughout the Christian life. Certainly He uses His Word to do that, so we try to be faithful to His Word, but He also uses our prayers. My lesson a few weeks ago was titled, One Life, Don't Waste It. And uh, we've, we've talked about, over the last few weeks, just the, the ruling principle of the Christian life. In a word, sacrifice. Death. Lose your life to find it. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Ephesians 5.1 says, in light of the love that God has for you in Christ, and we're going to get there, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Christ's love for us was His death for us. And the, the call of the Christian life is to follow Christ in this way of death that leads to life. We must decrease so that He would increase. I do not want to get to the end of my life and sing the same song about a prayer life that never really got off the ground. You know? Have I grown in prayer in my Christian life? Sure I have. But I would say that I've grown more organically than structurally. For I'm not like a type A. Some of you just you get your list and you do it and it's done and that's the way you operate. I'm not that way. I guess they call what I am more mosaic. When I'm writing a lesson... I've got like 17 pieces of paper and at the end of the week, I've got to figure out how it fits together. I just have to write things as they come. So naturally, it's exhausting for you type A's. It's especially exhausting even to think about, but it's just the way I operate. So I tend to be more organic, you know, more kind of in the flow, so to speak. And I would say that I've grown in my anytime, anywhere, spur of the moment praying. I feel more comfortable knowing God is my Father and that I am His Son and that I am safe in His presence and there's no more wrath for me. I feel comfortable praying to Him all the time, anytime. But I haven't grown as much in my discipline morning, noon, and night praying. I think Paul was praying all the time, anytime too. But I also think in order to be this faithful in his praying so that he could say, with God is my witness, there had to be some sort of structure to his prayer life. 
And if I ever want my organic fellowship to grow to its maximum potential with God, I'm going to need more structure. I know this. The vine needs a trellis to grow on, right? The vine needs a structure. I'm sure many of you can relate. And um, you know what's going to have to happen for us to build a better prayer life? We're going to have to die a little more to ourselves. We're going to have to lose our lives. Needless to say, discipline, consistent praying is not natural to us or we would all be doing it, right? I mean, it just doesn't come naturally. It's work, but it's kingdom work and it's the best work we can do. It's the most significant work we can do. And in losing our life, we find it. So I'm willing to guarantee that anyone who fights to keep praying, even when you don't want to, will find somewhere along the way that you actually enjoy it. The, the most consistent time of prayer that I have is every Sunday morning at 8.45. Staff prayer. Have to be there. You know, It's like, didn't have an option. Better be there. Better be there on time. And at first, that was hard. Uh, was usually very anxious and rushed and not getting there on time and that's never good and you know it's just like I felt like a hot mess every Sunday morning over time you learn to adjust things a little bit and you're going to get there and now I'm not as anxious getting there because I give myself a little more time or whatever but man that is one of the richest parts of my life it is so good I mean you know even just this morning as I'm thinking about prayer and just getting to sit and I'm thinking, you know, this is actually the way we're intended to live. Uh, we, we get in this place of prayer, which is often hard work and you have to kill yourself to get there and die to yourself a little bit more and get rid of some other things. But then you're there and you figured out how to rest there and you don't want to be anywhere else. We're actually made to live this way. And I think that we would find that when we do live this way, that our fellowship with God was severely hindered before we were in such consistent communion with Him. So, I've been thinking about the fact that Paul most likely had specific prayer times, and um, it's just a hunch, but I bet if you, it looked a lot like Jesus, who was known to be found praying, you know, when normal people would be sleeping, like early in the morning, late at night, um, But with all the responsibilities, all the churches, all the people that Paul was praying for, I doubt it was simply a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants operation. Again, I'm not saying there was no organic flow to it, but it probably wasn't just as we go. Um, I'm sure there was a little bit of structure. Maybe, this is just a thought, I'm just trying to help myself, I'm trying to figure out how to do better moving forward. I know it doesn't depend, my salvation doesn't depend on it, I simply want to grow in prayer. Um, for me, maybe I don't have, and maybe for you, maybe we don't have enough time slots throughout the day where we pray, where we say, that's the time that I pray, and that's the place that I go to pray. One of my best friends in college, I've talked about Paul before, but he would go nearly every night down by the river, and usually late, I mean, but we lived close to a river, and he would go down by the river, and that's where he got the majority of his, you know, heavy lifting in prayer done. I greatly respect him for it. I thought he was a little crazy then. Now I wish I just, you know, had learned from him at the time. 
Maybe we get there to pray and we're overwhelmed because everything we want to pray about but haven't been praying about is on our mind. So we get sidetracked feeling guilty about not praying, but we want to be praying, but we can't stop feeling guilty about not having been praying, so we really can't even start praying. And sometimes... um, Well, never mind. Something that I've been thinking about this week is that I, I need to keep times of prayer for me. I need to keep times of prayer and times of Bible reading distinct. Now, of course, it's good to pray when you read the Bible, and I do, and you should. And it's good to use Scripture when you pray. But for me, I think it would help me um, to sit down for 30 minutes to read the Bible, and that's all I do. Because what tends to happen to me is I sit down to read the Bible, and all I can think about is that I need to be praying. And I haven't been praying enough. And then it's like they pull away from each other, and I can't really focus on praying, and I can't really focus on reading the Bible, and I get up and I'm like, well, there we go again. Um, So maybe I spend a few minutes praying when I wake up, um, then eat breakfast, kind of transition out of that, and then after that, spend a few minutes praying. I mean, a few minutes reading the Bible. And now I get to read the Bible and stuff for work and all that, but I'm talking about all that aside, devotional time with the Lord. Um, Then maybe I have another time slot for prayer at the end of the day. Of course, this will have to replace something that I'm normally doing before I'm going to bed, but I don't think that catching up on Twitter or ESPN is ever going to be as significant uh, or important as intentional time with God. Now, I still think the best way I have heard to keep a structure in your prayer life is by using note cards. I use I got this idea from Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. Um, if you're dying to read another book, then go get A Praying Life. But if you want it in a nutshell, I'll give it to you. Uh, prayer cards. So that's kind of his practical application at the end of the thing. I will say it's a good book for other reasons because it, it, it helped me to understand the fatherhood of God more and the safety of, of this relationship more. And so if those are things that trouble you and keep you from prayer, it would be a great book for that. But basically, you got a card. I got a card for my wife. got a card for my kids. got a card for the class. got a card for personal sin that needs to be confessed and repented of. got a card for work. You could have a card with the attributes of God, simply to behold God in all of His goodness and glory. A card with the gospel, so you can remember that every day, because you know you need to remember that every day. A card for missions. card for you name it. You just come up with a card for stuff. And you don't put too much stuff on the card. Just a scripture, a couple scriptures, scripture that you think of. Maybe there's something that I'm thinking that Tiffany knows she wants to grow in, and I have a scripture that matches that. Uh, something that they're going through, something that they need to grow in, whatever it is. Over a year's time, you don't have 27 note cards for one person. You have one note card with a few things, a couple scriptures, a few things. And it's more about just praying regularly these things than it is about adding things. You know. And the cards simply help to keep focus in praying. I, I've told you this before, but some of you weren't in here. Um, we went to a Praying Life conference. It was an independent press. Paul Miller, the guy that wrote the book, was doing the conference. And he did the biggest thing I took from the conference. He did an exercise. When we first walked in, he said, I want you to spend five minutes praying in silence. There's 500 people in the room. I'm like, 
you know, the first three and a half minutes are me just trying to get comfortable with the fact that there's 500 people in the room. And then I remember, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be praying. And so I try to start thinking of things. But then the time's up. And I'm pretty sure that I only thought of things and never prayed. Um, So that wasn't very successful. At the end of the conference, after he had introduced the note cards idea, he said, all right, spend two minutes filling out a couple note cards, and then I want you to spend five minutes praying. And I'm telling you, I had laser-like focus. I mean, 500 people still in the room, didn't matter what was going on around me, you've got something in front of you that you're praying, a scripture for somebody, something particularly that's going on in their life, and you could be in a tornado, as long as you could hold on to the card, you could still be praying. And that was very telling to me because isn't it true that we get in these prayer scenarios and we go, oh, I'm just overwhelmed with everything that's going on in my life and I can't think of anything that I want to be thinking about and now I feel guilty and farther away from God. I think the note cards are a significant help. So, if you're a coffee drinker in the morning, put some cards where you normally drink coffee. If you sleep, put some cards uh, by your bedside table. And you know, here's another thing. In your relationships, be it marriage, with your kids, whatever, I promise you, remember back to Paul's praying for growth. He's laboring to instruct for growth, but he's praying for growth. This is a great place for the things that tend to come out as complaints or as nags or as whatever they may be. Just put them on the prayer card, you know? And what will happen is your heart will then begin to be shaped in a godly manner so that when it does come out of your mouth, concerns, or whatever it may be, it's loving and not naggy, which is always bad. Um, Whoever it may be, at work, in marriage, with your kids, whatever. Simply put, the lesson for today, Paul prayed, only God can give the growth. Let's pray. Our Father... Um, we thank You again that we can come before You. Lord, we are weak and we are not guilty. And uh, might that message resound as well today that, uh, Lord Jesus, You are our righteousness. We are blessed and uh, we've been given every blessing in You We have the Father's affection and love for all eternity. There is no wrath, uh, no more guilt and shame for our sin. You have forgiven us. It is finished. I pray that that would sink deep into us and that we would, with pure motives, desire to grow in godliness. One of the ways which we could do that is in prayer. So would you give us grace to make us uh, more glorifying to you in the way that we pray and depend on you, Lord. We know that only You can give the growth. We ask that You uh, would indeed, that You would give us grace for, for discipline and structure if that's what's needed and for more organic fellowship if that's what's needed. Uh, just that we might better know You and love You and serve You. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.